I don't want to call it end of an era yet because we have next week where we're going to be in it too. But today we're kind of rounding out our time uh, preaching through Acts. And so uh, for those of you who have stuck, uh, stuck around for the journey, I appreciate it. We started this, um, it was the first Sunday of February, I believe. And uh, it's been exciting. I'm excited next week we're going to spend some time reflecting on um, some things, uh, I think some overarching themes and some stuff God's taught some uh, individuals in our, in our faith community. Um, but it's been, a, it's been a sweet journey. And uh, I was thinking this week as we kind of close out our time in Acts, I was thinking about the church calendar, uh, everyone's favorite topic of discussion. Um, and I think I grew up in a church, uh, think of like evangelical megachurch in the United States, like copy and paste. It was a special place. I love it dearly. But like what you think of when you think of that, that's what it was. And uh, us Protestants love to get away from the church calendar because we're like, we look at the uh, historic versions of faith like Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy and we throw the baby out with the bathwater and we go, we don't, we, we've reformed since then. We've done all this stuff. And then there's all this beautiful stuff in how they worship Jesus um, that we lose out on. And one of those things is the church calendar. And uh, the church calendar is split into uh, different seasons. So let me just walk you through, if you're not aware, let me walk you through what the seasons of the church calendar are. The first one starts in the end of November, and that's like the new year for the church calendar, and that's Advent. That's the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day. And the purpose of Advent is to prepare our hearts for the arrival of Jesus on the scene, to focus on Jesus as the promised Messiah, the one that uh, God promised was going to save Israel and save us from our sins. And it focuses on that waiting and that expectation. Then it moves into Christmas tide. Okay, Christmas tide starts on Christmas Day and is uh, this might sound familiar to you is the twelve days after Christmas. The twelve days. Of Christmas is where that song comes from. Uh, and that focuses on like excitement, like Jesus is here, let's celebrate, this is a wonderful thing. And then uh, after the 12th day of Christmas, it moves on to a day uh, and a season called Epiphany. And Epiphany is uh, from the 12th, January 6th, the 12th, after the 12th day of Christmas, until Lent. And Epiphany uh, focuses on like remembering the visits of the Magi and the good news of Jesus going to the Gentiles. And so for those of us in the room who aren't ethnically Jewish, that's a, that's a reason for celebration for us, that, that Jesus isn't just contained to the Israelite pizza, uh, people, that he gets to go out to, uh, to the whole world, the good news of Jesus. And then so we move into Lent, and that begins Easter season. And, and Lent is the 40 days before Easter, and it's filled with fasting and prayer and, and, and preparation for the, the celebration of the resurrection. But it's, it's kind of somber, and, and the purpose is to reflect and, and remember in the ways that our, uh, our sin and our, our, the stuff that we have in our lives uh, contributed to the death of Jesus. So we remember that, and then we move into Holy Thursday, and we remember that Jesus was provision, and we see that in the Lord's table and communion. And then we move into Good Friday, and Good Friday... Friday, uh, we mourn. We mourn the death of Jesus. We mourn that God was crucified. And simultaneously, this is a weird combination because we mourn that Christ, Christ was crucified, but we celebrate that we get to take part in that. That, like, there, that, that means we have access to the Father. That uh, when, when Jesus died, when he breathed his last, the curtain was tore. So it's the death of Jesus that gives us access to God. 
and we sit around and wait on Holy Saturday. And then on Easter, we, uh, <coughs> we remember uh, and celebrate that Jesus is alive, that the resurrection took place. And because Jesus is alive, alive we can know and experience life, both abundant life here on earth and eternal life forever and ever with God. And then we finish up <coughs> with Pentecost Sunday, the 50 days after Easter, focusing on the gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given to each person that believes in him. Now, if you're doing your math, the Christian calendar at this point is split into kind of two triumphal sections, okay? We have Christmas tide, that Jesus is here. And then we have Easter tide, that is the work of Jesus is complete. It's, it's done, we can experience life because of it. And these are two monumental, monumental celebrations, and we ought to celebrate them. They're good, they're holy, they're right. <clears throat> but the, for those of you who are a little brighter with math than me, you'll notice, if you're, if you're kind of counting, we start in November, and we go through Easter, and we celebrate, uh, we celebrate through Pentecost, which puts us, Easter's usually sometime in April. And so just call it a month after that. You're into May, maybe beginning of June. And you're like, what in the world as a church do we do for the rest of the year? What do we do as a church for the rest of the year? We celebrate the arrival of Jesus and we say, this is good news that Jesus is here. And then we celebrate the work of the cross and the resurrection. We say, this is good news. Jesus is alive. He's defeated death. And then we've got five or six months that we're like, what do we do with that? <clears throat> here's what uh, people who use the church calendar, here's what the Catholic Church uh, calls that time period. And I love this. This is, this is perfect in every way. Ordinary time. Ordinary time. So if you look at their liturgy, they're like, for the 12th Sunday in ordinary time. This is what, this is what we're going to read. And that's what they call the season that we kind of hang out in, like right now, the season that we hang out in, in between the triumph and the good news of Easter. And then, and then waiting again on uh, focusing on the hope of Jesus' arrival. And what are we supposed to do during ordinary time? Ordinary time, uh, I read this week, is a time for growth and maturation in our faith. We engage in prayer, like deepening our connection to God through prayer. We take communion and celebrate our connection to God through the Lord's Supper. We, we engage in acts of service and giving alms and helping the poor and needy and doing all that sort of stuff. Uh, and if you ask me, those are pretty like normal Christian things. Which means our faith is kind of broken down. And I don't want to segment it. I want it all to be integrated into one. But for the purpose of our conversation this morning, our faith is broken down into two distinct areas. You have the monumental. Like the God of all creation was breathless and dead in a tomb. His body was wrapped. People had abandoned hope. And then a couple ladies who were just trying to mourn walked up to the tomb 
And the giant rock that they had put in place and then sealed there wasn't there anymore. In fact, it had been moved away. Everyone was scattered. And and they walk into the tomb and it's empty. The person that they had given the last three years of their lives to following and they'd fallen in love with him and they had followed his teaching, they had obeyed, obeyed him and they were just mourning the loss of him and they're just going to engage in that mourning process and he's gone. And that the whole world can be reconciled to the holy and perfect God because Jesus is alive. We have that. And then... We have Tuesdays. We have the big monumental, this is incredible. And then we have, I made a new recipe this week and I I left it on the stove too long and you're supposed to stir it. The video I watched was delicious, but you're supposed to stir it every few minutes and it was, uh, there was pasta that was cooking in the tomato sauce. You put the pasta in, you're not boiling it uh, and, and then mixing it in. You're cooking it in the tomato sauce. It was good, but I didn't stir it enough and, and it, it burnt on the bottom. The rest of it was good, but on the bottom it was burnt. It took forever. The pan was a mess. We had to clean it. So we have, we have the author of life dying for our sins and being raised back to life. And then we have diaper changes. It's ordinary time. We have the big, we have the ordinary. Half of our year, which probably feels like it mirrors your walk with God. I know for me it does. Students, this, this resonated with me. When I was in student ministry, it was like feast or famine when I was a student, not when I was a student pastor. It's like feast or famine. You go, you go to life. You go to, uh, you go to these big youth conferences. You go to these retreats, and it's like, oh, it's, it's holy ground. It's perfect. It's good. It's right. You encounter the Lord, and it's awesome. And then two weeks later, your parents are trying to get you out of bed for school, and it's like, well, I don't, I'm tired, all that sort of stuff. Like you have the monumental and you have the ordinary. This is our case for, for these gatherings. There's some Sundays where we come in here and it feels like the presence of God is just so thick in this place. And it's like, wow, this is good. It's holy. It's right. And, and then there's other Sundays where it's like bad. There's, just, there's Sundays. We gather together. We sing songs about who God is. We read the Bible to remind ourselves of who God is. And then we go to, we go to Culver's. Like, and here's the thing. Neither of those things is wrong. But we have to recognize them for what they are. And so if our, if our lives with Jesus mirror this, I think the book of Acts has mirrored this for us really well. Because in the book of Acts, we have seen miraculous workings of the hand of God. Okay, think with me through the book of Acts. If you can think of something that it's like, this is a pretty profound thing that happened that took place, is monumental in the book of Acts. Just let, give them to me. What are you, what's something that happened as we've studied the book of Acts where it's like, that's not an ordinary thing? Pentecost, Holy Spirit comes, tongues of fire, people speaking different languages. That's miraculous. You're right, Doug. What else? Conversion of Paul, Saul. He, he, he was... Uh, persecuting Christians, putting them to death, and then God meets him on the road to Damascus. That's monumental. What else? Give me a couple more. Peter healing the blind beggar. Is that, is that three? 
Uh, wherever, no, three's the lame beggar. Anyways, he heals, there's a lot of healings that take place. Yes, uh, Peter heals someone and it's monumental. That's like he can't see and then he can see. It's a big deal. Give me one more. What else you got? There, yeah, the shipwreck. Yes, that's a big deal. I've never sailed, I've never sailed on a large wooden boat. I would be so terrified if any amount of wind comes. And then the ship's broken to pieces and they survive. That's monumental. Over the course of studying the book of Acts, okay, we have gone through roughly 30 to 35 years worth of history. Okay? Now, if you go on the the conservative side, you say 30 years, and then you look down at your Bible and you see 28 chapters, you're like, that's about a chapter a year. But we also know that's not the case because Acts chapter like 15 is just dedicated to the Jerusalem council, which is when people got together to discuss whether or not uh, people should have to be circumcised to be uh, accepted into the, the, the way of following Jesus. Uh, and so it's not just a chapter a year. It's there's, there's like whole chapters given to just single afternoons of what took place in their life. Uh, and, and so you get these really zoomed in sections of scripture where you go, here's a specific situation that took place. And then you get what we find in a couple verses. Read this in uh, 24 verse tw- or chapter 24, verse 27. Uh, Peter, or sorry, Paul on trial. And he says, when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, but Felix wanted to grant favor to the Jews, so he left Paul in prison. In one verse, we get a span of two years. Happens again in verse 28. Paul makes it to Rome uh, like he has been trying to do for several chapters. Uh, they go on this back and forth, and this group's like, well, we don't really think like you have uh, anything bad, but we're just going to leave you in prison. And so it says in verse 30 of chapter 28, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. And he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. Two years of Paul's life and ministry Summed up in one verse. For two years, here's what he did. He preached about boldness without hindrance. About, about who Jesus was. Think over the past two years of your life. What has that held for you? Weddings, funerals, births, birthdays, anniversaries, new jobs, loss of jobs, New houses, friends coming over, dinners together, vacations, work, time with your kids, time with your spouse, time with your extended family, laughs, different trips you've been on, meals you've eaten together, tears that you've cried. Now sum that up for me in a sentence. It's like an impossible task. There's no way you can sum up the entirety of what those two years are. And so when we approach Scripture, it is so important for us as Jesus followers to look for 
the incredible and the miraculous because that fuels our faith and inspires us and reminds us that God still intervenes, God still moves, God still works, and simultaneously we need to approach Scripture looking for the ordinary. That God is still moving and working even in the midst of the ordinary and the mundane. Even in the midst of one verse saying, Paul preached for two years with, without, with all boldness and without hindrance. That God is glorified in that just as much as he is in the big and the monumental. It can be really easy, I find for myself. Social media is rough for this too. Uh, It can be easy for us to judge our walks with Jesus against the highlight reels of other people. You see the highlight reels of like, God did this, and then God did this, and then God did this, and then God did this. And you've stretched 50 years of a faithful life well lived, and there's like four things. And it's wonderful, but we judge ourselves against that, and we go, well, my Tuesday wasn't very good because I didn't see this miraculous, incredible thing. I didn't see this move of God. But what I want to encourage us this morning is to capture a theology of the ordinary, where we can, yes, expect and experience the monumental and the big and the gigantic and the transformational, and at the same time, where we can see God moving and working in the very ordinary and mundane spaces of our lives. Where we're sitting across the table from our spouse and we're drinking coffee and we're just chatting. Or or when we're in the school drop-off or pickup line, or when we're typing out that email to a coworker, or when we're, you fill in the blank, that we can recognize that God is just as much there as he is the big. I think this is really fitting for our context because like I talked about this service. We gather here at 10.35 every week and we worship, we cry out to God We open scripture, we pray together, we do all these things, and then we leave. I talked about this. And and I love, I look forward to, I long expectantly for what God does in this space when God's people are gathered together. I don't know why I'm so math heavy this week, but do the math with me. There's 168 hours in a week. And let's say that you are involved in church activities, and this is probably a high estimate for the average person. Let's say you're involved in in church activities for five hours a week. It's wonderful. I would love for you to get involved in serving and and ministries and all sorts of five hours a week. That's not, that's, that's a lot. It's also not like there's still 163 other hours during the week, which means which means if we are expectant, and again, that's a high estimate, those five hours. If we're expectant, we need to have that theology of the ordinary to carry us through the other 163 that everything that we do can become a spiritual act. That it is our vocation, our resting, our family time, our cooking, our cleaning, our yard work, our sleeping Anything else you can fit into that ordinary time category becomes an act of worship before a God that loves us (coughs) so deeply. 
We talked at the beginning, back in February, about how the book of Acts was written so that uh, Luke could encourage a uh, fledgling young church uh, what it looked like when the church was birthed and, and how the church came to life and was excited and what God was doing among them. And I think one of the greatest encouragements uh, Luke gave us is these little verses where it just talks about ordinary time. Where time passes and there's seemingly nothing miraculous about it, but at the same time, God was there and so it was holy ground. Because our lives are going to be separated into these two things. I've talked about this a lot, but I want to give us more examples. Our lives are going to be separated into, this, into these two things. There's going to be a season where maybe you take like a mission trip. Maybe you take a cross-cultural mission trip. Maybe you take a service opportunity. And your eyes get open to the goodness of God working in other places. And your eyes get open to the need of people in other places. Or maybe it is that you have a specific encounter with the Holy Spirit that leaves you breathless and transformed, just wanting to bask in God's presence. Maybe it is that you take a step of obedience and you express your fidelity and commitment to God through baptism in, in, the, in the community of believers. And it feels like God meets you in that moment. And maybe as you have engaged in fervent prayer for a loved, a, a family member, a loved one, a close friend, and you've seen God draw their affections towards himself, you've seen their life be transformed. Maybe you've had these monumental things, and then maybe also you do all of the ordinary stuff too. The cooking, the drop-offs, the commutes, the work, the, the cleaning, the, the, you fill, the laundry, you fill in the blank. See, the goal of our lives is not these mountaintop experiences that, that uh, our lives will just be transformed, that slowly we'll add more of these things into our life. The goal of our lives as created beings is life with God. Scripture can be summed up in, in the sentence that God will have a people and he will reign in their midst. So our goal as Jesus followers is not uh, more and more mountaintop experiences, although I pray those for you. Those are wonderful things. But the goal is recognizing God in the midst of the ordinary where you're plodding along in faithful obedience and things seem just mundane. But you have the ability to recognize that God is there. And so I've got a couple things as I thought about how do we... How do we engage in the ordinary? How do we celebrate life in the ordinary times? How do we follow God in the ordinary times? And one of the first things I thought of was, in order to follow God during the ordinary times, because he's so his presence is so evident during the monumental times. It's so evident. But one of the ways that we can follow God and continue to pursue him in the making coffee and the changing diapers in the very ordinary times is to look for God is to look for God on the Tuesday mornings when you're driving to work. It's to look for God when you're having conversations with your coworker. It's to look for God when you're sitting around and cooking a meal. It's to look for God when you're eating dinner together. It's to look for God in the middle of bedtime routines. It's to look for God in every area of your life. Uh, it was uh, philosopher Nietzsche that uh, told a story about a, a guy that ran into a, a marketplace shouting, God is dead. And what he was getting at was uh, 
God is dead to the average person because the average person isn't looking for God anymore. And so he's, we're, we're kind of functional atheists. We see him in the monumental times, and we don't see him in the other times. And so like, it's just out of sight, out of mind. And I read a book a couple weeks ago uh, called The Shattered Lantern by uh, Catholic professor Ronald Rollheiser. I think I've talked about it a couple times. But he gives three reasons why we don't see God in the ordinary parts of our life. Number one, narcissism. We are far too self-obsessed. We are what Matt Chandler often refers, refers to as naval gazers. You know that naval? We're just, we are obsessed with ourselves. And it makes sense. I get it. Like, we can't live someone else's experience. But we are so consumed with, I'm going to make sure I'm going to get, get, get for me and mine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gather. I'm going to do all this stuff. Uh, and I just, I need to make sure I'm taken care of. I need to, I need to uh, this is what I got going on in my life. And we have not given any room in our lives for God to show up. And I know this is a rough analogy, but if we're just navel gazers and we're constantly looking down and God's out here dancing around trying to work and move, we're never going to see him. We're self-obsessed, narcissistic. The other one he gives is we're too pragmatic. We're too practical. Intimacy with God is inefficient. It feels like nothing is happening. And in our Western culture, we have this desire to like do and be productive and be productive members of society. And one of the things that he's encourages is like, throw that aside. Your, your life is about far more than what you eat and what you drink and about all this other stuff. Like, why don't you just instead focus on the God of creation that's wanting to be in relationship with you? And yeah, sometimes that's inefficient. When Amanda and I were uh, first dating, we were, we were high school seniors. And uh, do you know what those early conversations looked like? Uh, we lived, she lived in Georgia, I lived in Indiana for a season, and uh, you call each other up on the phone, I think I've talked about this before, uh, you have to do it after 9 p.m., kids, because there's limited, there's limited minutes you can talk on the phone. I know it sounds wild, but you gotta do it after 9 p.m., so it's free. And uh, we talk, and we catch up, and then there'd just be long periods of, sounds cheesy, but enjoying one another's presence on the phone where no words are exchanged, but we just enjoy being together. What an offering to God of uninterrupted, unproductive time with him. But that's hard for us to do because of the last reason he gives. So we're narcissistic, we're too pragmatic and too practical. And then he says we can't see God because we're, we're too restless. We're too busy. Our lives are too full. We got too much going on. And so God could be wanting to break in. And we're like, even into the ordinary parts of your day, like the, the coffee making routine and all that st- sort of stuff. And he could be wanting to break into that. And, and we just, we don't have room for it. We don't have time for God to, to enter into those areas of our life. So how do we get past all of these things? Here's one of the things that has been a game changer for me. Not that I have this uh, down pat, but uh, it's this phrase that I'll use called liturgize the ordinary. Liturgize the ordinary. So if there is something that you do on a daily basis, on a regular basis, what is a way that you, that can be a trigger for you to then stop and recognize that God is there with you? Let me tell you one. I've, told, I've talked about this a, a billion times. Uh, but one of the things me and my boys do, I do drop off uh, 
every morning for school. One of the things we do on our way to school is we get in the car. Hudson has this seatbelt checklist that we have to go through. It's really just like, Miles, you buckled? Check. Hudson, you buckled? Check. Daddy, you buckled? Check. Then we can drive. Uh, It serves no functional purpose, but he loves it. And uh, once we do that, one of the boys or myself lead us through a prayer every morning. I've said the prayer before. It goes like this. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for this day. Bless us as we work, learn, and pray. Be present with us, and in all we do, help us bring glory and honor to you. Amen. And sometimes it's said really, really fast by the boys. And sometimes it's said in silly voices by the boys. And sometimes it's said uh, like they're, uh, it's a bluey thing, grannies with no teeth. Um, Sometimes it's said uh, not at all and they're begrudging, but we say it every morning because you know what we do every morning? We get in the car. We have to go to school somehow. We get in the car. And so we found a way to liturgize the ordinary, to to take the ordinary parts of our life and say, God, we want to recognize that you are here just as much as you're there on Sunday services, just as much as you're there in the healings, just as much as you're there in the interventions of your favor, that God is here. There's a couple resources that I'd love to give you guys to, uh, to engage in this. One of them is a book called Habits of the Household. I, I left it at home this morning. I meant to show you guys. But Habits of the Household. And Habits of the Household has helped us greatly in, in doing this. And how can we uh, liturgize the ordinary? How can we uh, infuse into the ordinary things that we're already doing a reminder of God's presence? And then the other one is this. It's called Every Moment Holy. And every moment holy uh, just reminds us that, um, that every moment God is there. God is present. And so it just has prayers that you can engage with. Um, uh, so, like, there's prayers in here for, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a prayer before I engage in cooking a meal. I'm going to read a prayer before I, uh, before I do laundry. I'm going to read a prayer before gardening, for looking at a sunset for the morning of a medical procedure, before consuming media, for, for when I'm doubting, before I give something, before I pay a bill, before I wake up, when I miss someone, when I'm homesick, when I'm scared of failure. Uh, there's one in here. Uh, there was a, a time when we lived in Columbia City where Amanda and I got addicted to, uh, hear me out now, these crackers from Trader Joe's, rosemary, okay? And then you put farmer's cheese on top of them. It's like a loose cottage cheesy ricotta type thing. Green olives. Forget about it. There's a book in here. Uh, there's a book in here, or there's a prayer in here for the eating of a pleasurable food, okay? And here's what it says. And here's why. We, we came across this book in the season where we're addicted to this cracker snack. That's why it's connected to me. For the infinite variety of your creative expression, I praise you, O God. For you have made even the necessary act of eating a nurturing comfort and a perpetual delight. That's nothing. It's two sentences. God, you've taken something that's necessary and you've made it enjoyable liturgize the ordinary. And then the last thing I want to encourage us in 
in the ordinary seasons of uh, how do we pursue God, how do we stay faithful during the ordinary seasons is uh, found in Galatians chapter uh, 6 when Paul is talking. He says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Your life is not worthless. Your life means something. It has infinite worth and infinite value because the God of eternity sent his own son to pay a price for your life. It is not meaningless. And so when you get caught up in the tedious, in the mundane, in the ordinary, something is happening in that space. Something is happening in that space. You are getting to commune with the God of all creation. Don't forsake them. Don't forsake the ordinary. Keep enduring. Keep enduring. And it seems hard. I know. It seems hard. It seems difficult. But again, the God of all strength who made all things is there with you in it. What's fascinating to me about the church calendar is the fact that it's a cycle. It's cyclical. So in the ordinary time, it goes through the spring and the summer and the fall, and then we find ourselves back in November again, which, goodness, we're going to, I don't have a watch on, but we're going to be there at some point here real soon. We're at the end of August already. And remember back with me, what is it that the ordinary time bumps up to? It bumps up to Advent. Okay, so there's a Sunday that ends ordinary time that uh, is the Sunday called uh, the Solemnity uh, of Christ our King. And we remind ourselves at the end of ordinary time that Christ is King over all creation. And then we move from that ordinary time and we move into Advent where we wait with great expectation for the arrival of our Savior King, Jesus. I think this gives us just a, a beautiful picture of, uh, of what our lives are, that we are in this primarily ordinary time where, where uh, Paul, just like he, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and he preached. And it seems unmiraculous and it seems unspectacular and maybe it was, but he was faithful in the midst of it. He found God in the midst of it. He was faithful in the midst of it. And simultaneously, we're already looking ahead to Advent season. We're looking ahead to the end of November where where our cry once again becomes, come Lord Jesus. That there is an end to this ordinary time where Jesus is gonna return. He's gonna make all things right. He's going to restore all things. He's going, to, he's going to take the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe. He's going to fit and fashion them into a beautiful harmony. And that's our hope. That on the other side of this ordinary time, that's where God is. Father, we, we praise you. We praise you that you're not a God that dips in and dips out, that you're not a God that shows up for the miraculous and then, uh, and then takes off and leaves us high and dry, but that you're a God that stays, you're a God that sticks around in the middle of the ordinary. 
We praise you for testimonies like Acts 28, where Paul stayed somewhere for two years preaching faithfully. And Lord, we know that we have seen the fruit of that on this side of it. But we also recognize that it's hard in the midst of it. And so we, we ask for a glimpse of your presence. In the glimpse of another, or in the midst of an otherwise ordinary Sunday morning, will you give us a glimpse of your presence here this morning that will draw us into further obedience and, and further uh, love with you? That's our heart's desire, Lord. So we submit all these things to you, asking that you'll meet us here. We ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.